Welcome to the Bible Preaching and Teaching Ministry of Dr. Douglas D. Stauffer. Dr. Stauffer currently serves as President of Key of Knowledge Ministries. He has thousands of hours teaching experience, 10 years serving in pastoral ministries, and has authored several books. One of Dr. Stauffer's most recent projects included his participation as consulting editor for Oxford University Press. He has also been the featured speaker on national and international radio broadcasts dozens of times. If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. Here I want to read from 1 Kings chapter 16 first. I really want to preach from chapter 17 in Elijah. Let's look at 1628. So Amri slept with his fathers, was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. And in the thirty and eighth year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab the son of Amri to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Amri reigned over Israel and Samaria twenty and two years. And Ahab the son of Amri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. What a sorry testimony of a life there. He did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. And there were some wicked ones before him. In verse 31, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And in his days did Hiel the Bethlehite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof in Abiram the firstborn, and set up the gates thereof, and his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua the son of Nun. I'm not going to be preaching today about Ahab, but I'm going to preach about the man that came and talked to Ahab. The preacher that stood for right. The preacher that didn't give up when it looked like everything had forsaken him and everyone had forsaken him. I know later on uh, Jezebel said some things and he ran and, and all that, but I want to preach about the time before that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I do thank you for your many blessings. I thank you for Hope Baptist Church. I thank you for Pastor Sal and what he has meant in my life and to my church and to others uh, around the country. I thank you for, Lord, just some sweet fellowship, sweet preaching, sweet music. Lord, I just praise you for all that you do for us. We're such an undeserving people, and yet you look down from heaven's glory and bless us far and exceeding above what we deserve. I thank you for this. Just pray that you give me the words to preach. Help me to be a blessing to the hearers here. In Jesus' name and for His sake, amen. As I said, I want to look at chapter 17. I want to move rather fast. We'll go as far as we can go and stop when the time's up. Chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah the Tishbite, who was in the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. When you look at that, it's not a very positive message. Many times when we preach, we don't preach positive messages. Many times we get up and we have to speak the truth, and the truth isn't always something that you would look at and say, well, you know, it's just a bed of roses, and everything's great about it. No, sometimes the truth's hard to take. Here he's preaching and saying, listen, there's not going to be any rain. 
I don't know about you, when it goes a couple of months without rain, I get out there and I look in my yard, it's turning brown. I think, man, it's going to, how, how long is this going to go on? Are we going to have water in the house? Are we going to cut the water off? Are we going to have to start conserving uh, the water? You know, what's going to happen here? Well, here he says his message is that it will not have dew nor rain. I mean, that's even worse. That means nothing's going to be watered. And then he says at the end, he says, but according to my word. I looked at that right there and I thought, well, wait a minute, this is God's message. But you know, there's a verse and everything that I sign, I, I, you know, I sign my books, I've signed many of them. I put 1 Corinthians 15.10. That's my life verse. It says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. You see, he said, I labored. But then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. You know, grace is in that verse three times. He says, listen, I labored. Paul says, I labored more abundantly. And then he says, yet not I. It was the grace of God. And as long as we keep that focus, listen, it's our message. It's, it's our ministry, but it's God. It's what God wants us to do. It's what God has put in our heart, and we need to be faithful for that reason. But it's okay to say, uh, say, listen, I'm doing, uh, you know, this is, this is my ministry. But as long as you keep in focus that it's God's ministry, you can say that. And sometimes we look at the brethren and we say, we want to judge him all the time. We want to look and say, wait a minute, he didn't say it the right way. He said it was his ministry. It's God's ministry. Listen, yet not I. As long as you always keep that in focus, and you give glory to God. You don't have to do it every time you speak. Every time we get up and we speak, sometimes we're so worried about what the brethren are going to think of us, we've got to explain everything that we say. We've got to, we're, oh, we're thinking about, what are they going to think if I say it this way? No. Get up and preach. Get up and speak the Word of God. And give glory to God in your heart. And let it come through. But don't spend all your time trying to explain to the brethren what you mean. Another thing, it's Elijah the Tishbite who was in the inhabitants of Gilead. You know, God just chooses ordinary people. He just chooses ordinary people. Then He gives them a clear message. The message was, listen, there's not going to be any dew nor rain these years. And we know from James that that was three and a half years. Can you imagine that message? Well, notice what happens here in verse 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying... Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. Notice that he's told, get thee hence and hide. Can you imagine independent Baptists being told by God, listen, you need to keep it low-key for a little while. I mean, can you imagine that? Just settle down. You, you've got you've to have a time of preparation. You need to go back, like when I was in Bible college. I graduated from Bible college in 1984. I thought, man, I don't need to go to Bible college. Jesus is coming back. 1984, I graduated. That's 21 years ago. I believe in the imminent return, but listen, if God puts something on your heart, don't cop out and say, I can't do it because Jesus is coming back. You prepare as though you're going to be here for a while. I'm 46. I never thought that I'd make it to 40 years old. But he says, hide thyself. Listen, we need a time private, alone with God. Sometimes that's what the Bible college is all about. I learned the Bible in Bible college, but when I got out of Bible college, I found out I learned more after Bible college. I started being able to study what, what I wanted to study, what God put on my heart, rather than having to perform for a grade or for the course. And then God will take it and He'll say, hey, this is what I want you to do. But He'll hide you for a while. 
I know I started out in the rescue mission, nursing home, jail, juvenile delinquent center. That's the greatest training ground. Sometimes we think, well, if we're not behind the pulpit, we're not before a bunch of people, and we don't have hundreds or thousands of people we haven't arrived. The place that the work needs to be done is in the nursing homes and in the jails and in the juvenile delinquent centers. That's where we can get out there and we can give those kids a Bible. They can't even get it in school. You can go into a juvenile delinquent center and you can preach to those kids salvation by grace. You can give them the Word of God. You can give them a copy and say, hey, take this home with you. You can't even do that in the schools today. He says, hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Jesus said, consider the ravens. In Leviticus chapter 11, He said, the ravens are abomination. Here He's taking an unclean thing and feeding the preacher. He says, I've told them. I've commanded them. Boy, if God can command the ravens and they obey, what ought we to do? If the ravens will do what God wants them to do, what about us? We need to be faithful. We need to be like the ravens. Just do what God tells us to do, no matter what it is. Sometimes God puts something before you, and just like the brother was saying, he says, well, I want to quit. Hey, who hasn't wanted to quit? I've wanted to quit at times. You know why I think I stayed in it more than anything else was for my children and the testimony of others that looked up to me. I taught in school. I taught 70 students a day, four days a week, ninth through 12th grade, the Bible. I taught it for four years. Can you imagine the number of students that I had that all they'd have to hear is, Brother Stauffer quit, went out in the way of the world. And there have been many, many greater men than I that have done that. And I've heard about them too, and it grieves my heart. I hear about it. Every time I hear about another one falling by the wayside, it just grieves me. And I think, what about me? J. Frank Norris said that the most feared verse in the Bible was that you'd be a castaway. You let your flesh get in control. You let it control you. And all of a sudden, if you don't keep it under control and keep it in submission, you too can be a castaway. That's all it takes. Take some sin to get in our lives. And then we get our focus off of the Savior and focus off of the cross. And then all of a sudden, we're a castaway and no longer used in the ministry. He says, hide thyself by the brook Cheerith. And he told the ravens to come. And look at this in verse 5. I like this. So he went and did according unto the word of the Lord. He just went and did it. That's what we need to do. So he went and did it. If God says, go to China, what ought you to do? So he went and did it. If God says, go here and go there or go somewhere else, you know what you and I need to do? So he went and did it. He did what he was told to do. Simple obedience. Go and do. Then we ought to go and do. The verse goes on, For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, can you imagine that? There you are, your preacher, and your message is, listen, there's going to be no dew, no rain for, for a period of time until I say, God says, go by the brook, and then the brook dries up. You think, well, God, do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're doing? I mean, God, here's my message, and now my message has caused the brook to dry up. Have you forsaken me? Have you given up on me? What's going on? And the, and the ravens just keep on coming, bringing them food in the morning and in the evening, bringing them food, bringing them food. I mean, can you imagine that? There's the miracle. And we look around and say, what about the brook? 
What about the brook? Well, God knows that's going to happen. So what's he do? What does he do? He says, I'm going to get you over to a widow woman. This widow woman's going to sustain me. I mean, he goes from an unclean bird to a weak vessel. So here it is in verse 8. The word of the Lord came in saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. To do what? Sustain thee. It doesn't say so you can live high on the hog. It just says to sustain thee. Sometimes that's all we need. With food and raiment therewith to be content. How many of you are content with just food and raiment? Not me. Not me. Say, well, the Bible says you're supposed to be. I don't know. I've never had just food and raiment. I don't know if I'd be content with that. I've never had to get to that point in my life. But that's what the Bible says. So what happens if you get more than food and raiment? You're blessed exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Are we all blessed? Here we're sitting on cushions. Boy, I love your cushions on these pews. Tremendous. Good back support. Man, these are the best pews in all of America. I've never sat on a better pew. I'm not, I've got a bad back. I'm moving around all the time. I'm always trying to end. But these are good. Air conditioned. Food in the morning. Food in the afternoon. Food in the evening. I'm getting hungry right now, and it's still another hour to go. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. As she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth. Notice, she's a Gentile woman. She says, Thy God. As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake and a handful of meal in a barrel and a little cruise of oil. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may uh, go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Very interesting statement coming up here. Elijah says, fear not, go and do as thou said. Well, you ever think that the preacher sometimes comes across pretty rough? We're going to go eat this thing and die. Okay, go and do what you just said. Isn't that what it said right there? That's not what he meant. He knows God already commanded that widow woman to sustain him. So when she says, I'm going to go make some food and then I'm going to die, he doesn't mean go and die, but that's the way it comes across. You ever listen to the preacher and say, man, I'll tell you what, he's cold and indifferent, hateful. I remember the first time I heard Brother McGay preach was in 1985. He preached on patience. You know what I thought about Brother McGay? Man, he's rough. You know what I found out this week? He has much grace. He was in my car with me while I was driving. He was really gracious. I couldn't figure out the roads. I mean, one, two lanes become four lanes, but when you're looking in the turning lane, you're in these two lanes, and then this is the turning lane, but this turn lane turns into two. I could never get over there fast enough. Then when you get over that turning lane to turn this way, you better stay in the right lane in the afternoon because the traffic's all the way backed up. There's no sign that it's going to end in the one, two lanes to one lane until you get to it. So I'm constantly, and I finally I focused. I told Brother McGann, I said, listen, we need to stop talking for a minute. i got to focus on this road. See if I can get you there without having to slam the brakes on, cut in, or do something stupid like that. <laughs> Brother Huff witnessed a little bit of it. But I ran the red light so I didn't slow anybody down. So I didn't cut anybody off, technically. <laughs> Fear not, go and do as thou hast said. Go ahead and die. That's not what the preacher's saying. That's not what the message is. He's not saying go and die. He's saying go and get the stuff, cook it, because I'm hungry. How long ago did the raven, you know, did he leave the ravens? And he's thirsty too. 
He was saying, man, go get me some water. And then he's thinking, man, I want some food too. The brook had dried up. He was thirsty and hungry, wanted something to eat. He is listening. And maybe he's impatient with this woman saying, hey, God said you're going to sustain me. I'm not even listening to what you said. I just answered it, told you to go do it. You ever hear the preacher around here? Maybe he gets a little bit, you know, you got a big bill and you got a lot going on. And sometimes he's short with you. Oh, that preacher doesn't love me. He didn't come say hi to me today. He didn't shake my hand. Try to be the preacher sometime. Try to put yourself in his place and have a couple of hundred people that if you don't shake their hand, they're going to get mad at you and think you don't love them. It's not easy being a pastor. It's not easy being a preacher. It's not easy being a Christian. You ought to write a couple of books. See how much people love you. Verse 13. Elijah said, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. That sounds really selfish too. And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. But let's say, as the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. Notice that Elijah doesn't have a big audience. He doesn't have thousands. He has just a few people that he's ministering to. That's the way a ministry is supposed to begin. You know what we want as preachers? Man, we want that big church. All of us want a church like this. Why don't we have a church like this? Well, let's just come on in and destroy it. A lot of them think that way. Now, they don't really think that way. They just think they can do a better job than Brother Sal. He's not doing it the way I do it. Be careful. You may just get yourself a church and find out that it's not as easy as you think it is. You hear the stories this morning? It's tough. Why? You're dealing with human beings that want to live in the flesh and follow the devil. And you've got to do all you can to preach it out of them. And so every morning you get up and you pray. Every Sunday morning you get up and you preach and you say, get the devil out of your life. Some of them listen. Get faithful church members. Listen, I know what it takes to put on a, a, a thing like this. It's a lot of work. That takes faithful people early in the morning. Late at night. And you go on and on and on. We as preachers, we appreciate it. More than you know. It isn't a bunch of backstabbing, loose-living Christians that are getting this job done. It's a bunch of faithful Christians saying, I will do whatever it takes. You know where I'd want to be if I was in this church? I'd want to be sitting like you, listening to the preacher, man, not missing any message. I didn't miss one message. Some of you did. I appreciate that. That's faithfulness. You do whatever God calls you to do. We go on in the story in verse 17. It came to pass after these things, there are quite a few things, and I've skipped over it, gone rather quickly, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? There you go again. First thing you do, blame the preacher. We always want to blame the messenger. Hey, it's your fault I'm going through this preacher. He's been preaching year after year after year about the family and the home and God and glorifying God and everything that we're here for is for His pleasure. And you didn't get it. And then when everything falls apart, you want to look at him and say, Hey, how come you didn't tell me? He's been telling you over and over and over. That's what church is all about. 
You come together and you get fed and then, and then you're supposed to put it in your life and it's supposed to make a difference. But listen, if we don't let it make a difference, we can't look at anybody else and point our finger out there and say, it's your fault. We've got to point right and look in the mirror and say, it's me. I'm the head of my home. I'm responsible for my children. I don't send them off to a Christian school even or Sunday school and expect them to fix that which is my responsibility to do. It's my responsibility. So you're going to slay my son. What do you think she was convicted of? She was probably convicted of the fact that she knew God had commanded her to sustain him and she didn't do it. Verse 19. He said unto her, Give me thy son. You know, that's what God says to us. Give me thy son. Give me your daughter. You know that if we'll turn them over to the Lord, the Lord will take care of them a whole lot better than we can. Give me your son. Give me your daughter. Give me your family. Give me your wealth. Give me everything you have. And then when I give it back to you to use, you won't abuse. When I give it back to you, you'll do right with it. You'll live the way you're supposed to live. You'll be the type of father, the type of daddy, the type of mother, the type of parent, the type of wife and the type of husband, the type of church member you ought to be if you just give it all over to God and then just be glad when God gives some of it back to you. You know, He gives us the majority back. If He says in the Old Testament, the principle tithe, I believe we ought to give a lot more today after the blood of Jesus Christ than the blood of bulls and goats, by the way. If He gives us 90% 90% back. Well, that's a pretty good deal. That's a pretty good deal. All of it's his. And he says, here, here's some of them back. And he doesn't say, hey, it's a 50-50 split. He says, here's 90%. Wow, that's a good deal to me. Give me thy son. He took him out of her bosom, carried him up in the loft where he abode and, and uh, laid him upon his bed. And he cried on the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, you got to look up the times that said, a lot in the Old Testament. I think it's all in the Old Testament. Hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? What did the preacher say? He said, why? Isn't that something? There's a message that keeps going around in all the messages. I appreciate that, Brother Heaton. Why? He says, why did you do this to this woman? She's taking care of me. I've lived in this home and now I look like I'm the bad guy. What do we hear this morning? What's the preacher usually look like? He's the bad guy. We're not bad guys. I am a loving person. I'm shy and introverted. I cannot speak in public. That's the way I am. I took speech class. I graduated from Penn State University with a counting degree, and I took speech. When I was standing up there, I was standing up there like this giving a speech. And my mind was saying, just run out the door, run out the door, run out the door. I walked up to that professor. I said, I can never do this again. I can never speak in public again. I was so nervous. She says, well, I'll watch and see if I notice it next time. That helped me a lot because I thought, well, everybody knew I was, and they did, but she was a good professor. I got called to preach probably a year later when I got right with God, and all of a sudden, the only thing that scares me was when I was associate pastor making announcements in church. I'd get up there to make announcements, and, you know, I know you... I'm serious. That's the way I just couldn't do it. And then finally, I think I just, I just calmed down. I mean, you do it about 50 times. look like a full 50 times. You get to doing the announcements right. But it was hard. But if God calls you to preach, He puts the preach in you. As long as you give Him the glory and let Him get in it, it won't matter what happens. You just let Him do it. And He calms you down. He wants to preach through us anyway. He wants, to see, he wants people to see Christ in us. 
And the only way to do that is for us to get out of the way anyway. So here it is. Give me thy son. Took him. He's crying out to God saying, why? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried on the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God. There he is saying it again. I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. That child was dead. No breath in him. Remember that earlier? Let his soul come back in him. Man, can you imagine? A bunch of Benny Hens always running around raising the dead. I mean, for real. Elijah did that. They all fake it today. But here he is. Let his soul come in. You notice it was three times. You know who else prayed three times? Say, well, Paul did. Thorn in the flesh, right? Well, what happened there? Paul prayed for the thorn in the flesh to be removed in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then Christ said, My grace sufficient for thee. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore will I. You know what Paul got? Paul got the answer to his prayer. He did. He did. You know what the answer to prayer is? It's not, Lord, take this thorn from me because I know what's best for me. No, the prayer is not my will, but thine be done. You know what the answer is? And the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know what the answer to every prayer is that we pray? It's peace. So I'm praying for this. When do you stop? When do you know you got the answer? When you get it? No, when you have peace to live in the condition, whatever it is, yes or no. See, we think if God doesn't say yes, He didn't answer my prayer. If God didn't do this, He didn't answer my prayer. No, that's not prayer. Prayer is, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The answer to prayer is peace. Do you know who else got peace? There it is in Matthew, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then they were asleep, and he got mad. And he went and prayed a second time. He came back. They were asleep. He came back a third time. He says to Peter and the others, he says, sleep on now, for he that betrayeth me. What did Jesus get? Peace. That is what prayer is all about. I am not a prayer warrior, but I try. I go to sleep every night praying. I wake up every morning praying. You say, how do you do that? Because I go to sleep every night praying, and when I wake up, first thing I do is pray. I'm not kidding you. Been doing it for I don't know how many years. It probably near ten. I, not every day. I pray with my wife. Then as I'm going to sleep, we talk. And finally, good night. And you know what? I go to sleep pretty quick. I sometimes be asleep in three minutes. You start praying. You know what the devil will do to you? I want. I don't want to keep him awake. So here it is. Three times he cried on the Lord. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came in unto him again, and he revived. He raised the dead. Verse 23, and Elijah took the child, brought him down out of the chamber into the house, delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. How do you know that the circumstances in your life aren't for somebody to realize that what you're telling them is the truth? We want to look at ourselves and say, Lord, why are you doing this? I've been living in this house. This woman's been taking care of me. Now look at her. She's even turned on me. I've only got one friend in the world. Everybody wants to kill me. Look at the dew. No dew nor rain. Everybody's having a famine. And they all know it was me. Everybody hates me, but this woman liked me because she was eating and everything was okay. And then you do the one thing you shouldn't do. You take her son. Why, Lord? 
Because that woman needed to know that what you were saying was the truth. After all the miracles, she wasn't going to believe it until it hit her right between the eyes. And then if you look in the next chapter, you'll see that his public ministry starts. Some of us need to realize that the reason that the things happen in our life is because there's some others that need to know that what we're speaking is the truth. And listen, if we need to go through the fire for that to happen, let's let the fire happen. You ever pray like Jesus? Not my will, but thine be done. If you haven't read Sam Gipp's new book, it's called For His Pleasure. You ought to read it. The verse is Revelation 4.11. Everything's created and was created for His pleasure. I sat down with the book, started reading, and I had a lot of things to do. I told Brother Gip, I said, I got up and I finished the book. I said, I couldn't put it down. It was fantastic cover to cover. I read the book. I printed out the verse. I gave it to my kids. I said, memorize that verse today. Both of them memorized it. I put it in the wall in my office because I never want to forget. And that's why I'm here. I am here for His pleasure. I am not here for me to be lifted up, for me to get a, a nice cushy job with a, you know, with everything going right, nothing ever goes wrong. Did you get the message this morning that maybe it doesn't always go right for preachers or Christians? How much suffering can God trust you with? You want to reign with Him? That's what the Bible says. All those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. If we suffer with Him, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Hey, what if somebody needs some truth and you have to lose something very dear for them to see the truth and come to Christ? Is that soul worth it? If you are interested in these or similar materials, you can contact us at www.mccowanmills.com. That is M-C-C-O-W-E-N. M-I-L-L-S dot com or through the mail at P.O. Box 1611, Millbrook, Alabama 36054 or by calling 334-285-6650. Orders can be placed online or by calling toll-free at 1-866-344-1611.